0: Welcome to the Proclaim Podcast, where we sit down with missionary disciples and talk all things around sharing Jesus with others.
1: Welcome to the Proclaim Podcast. This is Eric Chow here and uh, on the other side of my screen is Tim Glemkowski. Tim is no stranger to the Archdiocese of Vancouver. I've had him on podcast before. Uh, A number of you have gone through his book, Made for Mission, through your leadership teams and uh, parish evangelization committees, teams, whatever you've got going on. And a couple of years ago, he was the keynote for our Upper Room Conference. Now, since then, Tim has taken on a new initiative. He's uh, been led by the Spirit to take on a, a new role in the church in the United States. So I'm so glad that we have the opportunity to have a conversation. Tim, welcome. Thanks so much for being with us.
0: It's so good to be back with you, Eric. Thanks for having me. Yeah,
1: I'm going to get you to introduce a little bit of what you're working on now. It's no small task, and I think there's a lot for us in the little Archdiocese of Vancouver and our Proclaim Movement to learn and just be inspired by what you're up to. So tell us what you're up to.
0: Yeah, sure. I'd be happy to share. So about a year and a half ago, I came in full time to work for um, an organization that had been founded by the bishops called the National Eucharistic Congress, who you um, sort of supports the work of the national Eucharistic revival broadly, um, which I can explain more about in a second. It's a three-year initiative from the U S bishops to sort of bring about greater relationship and devotion with Jesus and the Eucharist. Um, also, uh, We are responsible for sort of launching and overseeing the National Eucharistic Pilgrimage. I can explain all these things are. (laughs) And then uh, the 10th National Eucharistic Congress, and God willing, you know, more Eucharistic Congresses going forward. Um, That's going to be next summer in Indianapolis, a gathering um, in the NFL Stadium there of Catholics across the United States. So it's been an incredible kind of year and a half sort of helping to to build this initiative from the ground up. And um, it's been really good. But I miss you all in Vancouver for
1: sure. (laughs) Yeah, Tim is uh, officially your. I think your title is CEO for this whole initiative. Uh, certainly, when you started, it was you and I think Archbishop Cousins, and you've grown it over time. And you know, before before we got on recording, you shared a little bit of the history of the Eucharistic revival in the United States. But I think there's also more to uh, just why this revival has has been launched. I know. You know, we, we follow a little bit of the church in the United States here in Canada, and we've, you know, heard the statistics of, you know, the understanding and the awareness of the of the real presence has declined, uh, even within our own Catholic constituencies. And, you know, some of those like broader speaking uh, statistics that could you know be a, that could demonstrate a response like this in this moment. But I'm sure there's more to what the Holy Spirit's been doing in you and in Archbishop Cousins. So I'd love to hear some of that, too.
0: Yeah. Happy to. Yeah. That is, I think that's an important message I want to share is this is not just a catechetical initiative or sort of a teaching initiative. I see it as something that God is doing in our time and in our church right now in a unique way. And then something that I think does have a a universal sort of application, certainly a universal need Mm -hmm. in terms of the, um, the, the lack of belief or, or relationship there. Yeah. So kind of narratively, right. To just dive into the story. Um, 2019, a Pew Research study came out that showed a critically low percentage of Catholics believed in the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. And there's been studies since; some have shown a higher percentage. We've done some internally that has shown that Pew was roughly right—that um, you know, within a degree of you know, 10% or whatever. There's a, a a real significant, even for Catholics in the pews, lack of an understanding, ability to articulate uh, sort of the the doctrine or the belief in the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist—that the body blood, soul, and divinity, like the, the Eucharist is not just a symbol, uh, the, but that the bread and wine actually you know, becomes transubstantiated. So I think the bishops rightly so. Uh, Bishop Barron at the time was the head of the, you know, Robert Barron, obviously here, Word on Fire Ministries, was the head of the Committee on Evangelization and Catechesis at the time, who sort of inspired the bishops to respond to this problem and say, you know, let's take personal ownership for the solution to this um, to this problem and sort of the, the a beautiful, in my mind, sort of spiritual fatherhood image of um, really kind of collectively addressing that critical issue. And so what's been birthed from that is the largest evangelization project of the U.S. bishops collectively ever, uh, you know, so each in their individual diocese sort of discerning and leading this project of Eucharistic revival as a movement, kind of like proclaim, right? Not just uh, sort of there's principles, right, on which you walk out any movement, but not a top down check the box yeah. strategy. Um, sort of a instead a a response to the Holy Spirit's initiative in the church to say in this time in which the world is hurting and the church is hurting herself who's been sent to address the hurt of the world what I think the bishops are saying and kind of prophetically inviting the church to is uh, God is inviting us back to his heart Mm -hmm. right like he wants to bring new life to rebuild up the church to renew the church um, so that she can be more effective in her mission to you know heal the brokenhearted to bind up all the wounds of of humanity which right which is her mandate and her mission from all time so it's super beautiful actually like to see the way different people in parishes and schools and dioceses and apostolates are responding kind of collectively but like you said we see it as more than just you know here's the doctrine now everyone knows Now everyone believes that's that, that phraseology of revival, which is um, sort of God's initiative to breathe new life into his world and into his people, right? His chosen people, which you can see kind of biblically and in the history of the church. We, we, we see this, uh, God willing, if we're all open to it and open to sort of the the re- responsiveness and the repentance that is is required for a true revival, we see it as something God might be potentially saying is, I, I want to do this in my people right now. Yeah.
1: You shared a, a, just an inspiring story or, I guess, an historical narrative of, of Eucharistic revival in the, in the church in the United States. And for us here in Canada, we're quite unfamiliar with this history. So can I get you to share some of that again with us?
0: Yeah, yeah. So the high point of this whole three-year evangelization project, this grassroots initiative is the 10th National Eucharistic Congress. So um, the history of, of those, because people say something, well, what's a, what's a Congress and where does where's that come? So it's actually the reason we're using that term is significant because it's historical. Um, so in the late 1800s, there was a movement that began of international Eucharistic Congresses. It's actually a French laywoman who had a vision of the church being sort of, battered about on the storms of modernity you know it's kind of one of those classic stories images but the eucharist was going to be sort of the guiding light to the church and so she discerned with her bishop to start these gatherings and so those have gone to this day we've had two in the united states international eucharistic congresses the next one is uh, actually next fall next september in quito ecuador um so they just had one in in hungary in 2021 2020 yeah fall 2021 and it was like 150,000 people in a Eucharistic procession in the city. Like, these are cool. They still happen. And um, so the, these international congresses have happened twice in the United States of America, two times in our history. In 1926 in Chicago. Um, so uh, that was um, a gathering of a million Catholics. They built a train from downtown Chicago to bring the immigrant Catholic population in the city 25 miles northwest of the city to mundelein seminary for the final closing mass a million catholics they literally physically built a train that still runs behind the seminary today if you go there um and then uh 1976 we had one in philadelphia and it was like a million and a half people came at different points i heard somewhere i don't know if this is true is the single largest gathering of cardinals outside of like the vatican ever in human history or something and the keynote speaker. Uh, was an Albanian nun who was doing great work with the poor in Calcutta. His name was Mother <laughs> Teresa. And uh, and the final mass was providentially presided over by the Cardinal Archbishop at the time of Krakow, Poland, Cardinal Karol Wojtyla, who two years later become Pope St. John Paul II. So we had this rich tradition. Those are the international ones. Then we started doing our own national ones. There was this Eucharistic League of Priests who started this gathering in the United States of Washington, D.C. and New York and different places. These national Eucharistic Congresses we did nine of them they got bigger and bigger and bigger like half a million people were in Cleveland and uh you know 1936 in New Orleans 1938 there was a massive hundreds of thousands of host families opened their homes so people could be there 1941 in St Paul and we've never done one mm. since we stopped doing them so to this day Italy still does these gatherings these Eucharistic Congresses National Eucharistic Congresses. like Pope Francis went to the last one in September 2022. And here's the the, the beauty of it for me is we're bringing that back as sort of the high point of the Eucharistic Revival, but the power of it is we know we're doing it in an apostolic time. This isn't just a gathering to say, look how great the church is and we're so powerful and prominent. It's to say, Lord, we need a renewed encounter with you so that you can send us on mission, like the project of our time, this missionary conversion of the church. I know Archbishop Miller speaks so beautifully about and that the proclaimed movement is sort of captured in. Uh, we really see the programming and the experience of this Congress it's gonna be five days next summer is is wrapped up in that project and I, and I actually really think it's going to be like a catalyst mm-hmm. and a turning point for the for the church in the United States almost like for us what World youth Day in 1993 was in Denver, in Denver yeah this is like yeah this is like the next great sort of moment for the new evangelization in in the United States, I think. That's why I'm here. Yeah, I mean,
1: this sounds like a a real tangible response to Pope Francis asking for a missionary impulse, a a missionary um, option that is capable of transforming everything. I mean, the people that are coming aren't just coming for a, a wonderful event to celebrate the Eucharist. Certainly there's that element of it, but as you mentioned, there's a missionary key that, that lines up all of what you're doing. You're, you're bringing people to gather, but you're sending them out. You, you know that if you can get people from all over the United States and perhaps even around the world so that for a few days you gather, you get inspired, you get filled in the Holy Spirit, and then you get sent out to, to proclaim the good news wherever you come from. So I'm curious now, so what are some of the initiatives that are happening at the local level? So you've got the Congress, but you mentioned there's a there's pilgrimage, there's revival. So it sounds like there's a lot of things that are happening uh, before, during, after the events, both nationally and at the local level. So could you share with us some of those initiatives?
0: Sure. Yeah, yeah. So we we break down, if like if you go to our website now, eucharisticrevival.org, you'd see sort of three, you know, individual sites to click. There's the eucharistic revival which is the umbrella brand yep. it's all the local ministry it's the event it's the and and so and i'll explain so the national eucharistic pilgrimage is the second and so this is going to be the two months leading to the, the 10th national eucharistic congress we're going to have walking pilgrimages of um you know small teams of pilgrims who are going to process with jesus in the eucharist from north south east and west from like the coasts north uh, east and west coast uh minnesota at the headwaters of the mississippi river in bemidji and then down at the border in uh, Brownsville, Texas, they're going to process with Jesus in the Eucharist to the Congress. What's powerful about that, though, is like they're going to stop in parishes along the way and in dioceses. So there's these huge events that are being planned locally, all these places that are like mini Congresses, um, youth gatherings. And um, so really powerful sort of as an intercessory action, but also an encounter and a witness, you know, sort of to the world. So really, that's the National Eucharistic Pilgrimage. And then um, other than that, really, the the three-year structure of the revival is it, a, each year is aimed at different audiences. The first year was kind of leaders in the diocesan year, we called it. Second year, the year we're in now is the year of the parish, aimed at Catholics in the pews. The last year is the year of mission, So sort of like those who are actually like away from mm-hmm. the Eucharist for whatever reason or away from the church or like inviting them back to that relationship. And um, the under those sort of like that movement there's four pillars in our mind so it's how do we reinvigorate worship it's the idea that like liturgy actually matters you know and is relevant the beauty externally and the sort of interior disposition of those gathering to to encounter i don't know about you if you've ever felt felt this way but like when i'm at a mass where most of the people believe in the eucharist it just feels different yeah there's a and i think that's actually a spiritual reality like an objective one more than you know so um then personal encounter, how, like all of this is ultimately about, you know, being Christian is not the result of an ethical choice, lofty ideal. It's the fruit of an encounter with a person. Yeah. Like there's a person here. It's not just, a, you know, some. So how do we bring people to that personal encounter for the first time or for the thousandth time in a new way, you know, then uh, how do we provi- provide sort of profound, sincere formation? Like I think in a lot of ways we, um, even when we're articulating doctrine as a church to show that something is rational and biblical, mm-hmm. that it's, you um, you know to kind of that more robust formative enterprise of the church to really help people like open their eyes to like these things is these things that it's not just because the church says but it's here's why you know it's really a an important thing in the catechetical endeavor and then lastly uh missionary sending like all of this has to ultimately be about people are going out on mission yeah. to their neighbors and in their homes so under those um sort of four pillars gosh i mean you, you like you look at different di- there's a diocese in you know, Cleveland is putting up billboards all over their diocese. People are doing pilgrimages and congresses in their own right locally. We did a small group initiative with the Augustine Institute. It's really this sort of like explosion of the church's evangelistic energy yeah. in a really cool way, all centered around Jesus in the Eucharist. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah.
1: Your, your your vantage point is, you know, at the national level, you're seeing all these things happen. You're you're working on brands and designs and initiatives and resourcing and you're putting together teams but ultimately the movement starts at the grassroots with individuals who are willing to buy into and, and be convicted by uh, this preferred picture of the future that uh, this like the, the revival is, is really aiming at. So um, could you tell me a little bit of how you, um, you interplay with uh, you know, the challenge of being kind of with a national view, like a national landscape, uh, uh, you know, time horizon that's you know, further down the line, with the uh, invitation to the individual at the grassroots level, at the local level, to buy into and respond in the moment. Do you know what I'm trying to ask? Like, there's, yeah, you know, there's, there's yeah, all these yeah. things that happen at at these like grand scale levels, but really, what's happening at, at the local level, and how can we help them take on that yeah. that initiative? Yeah. yeah,
0: it's not dissimilar at all yeah. from the work I was doing at the Archdiocese of Denver, yeah. right? You're sort of like you're 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 in kind of in a different vantage point and you have to ask like what's my job what can i do that no one else can do how do i make sure that i'm i think the thing people don't realize about the church is and like there's there's not actually a lot of like power in the church in the sense of people expect because the church is hierarchical and institutional that you can mobilize through sort of like dictates or commands like people say to me all the time why can't you just make pastors do Like, oh my gosh, first of all, I couldn't make pastors do a single thing, you know? And even their bishop would probably have a hard time telling them, you know, to like do X, Y, or Z, right? Like there's each bishop is in a certain sense, autonomous and equal, even to the bishop of Rome, there's like a, a certain, you know, preference or priority, or there's certainly, you know, places where power extends in terms of appointments or different things. Like there's levers you can pull, but at the end of the day, if you want to get something done in the church, you get it done through influence, Mm -hmm. not through mandate. And so... For us that was really important from the beginning if this is going to be a movement it has to be about sharing a compelling vision that actually gets people um, excited and especially leaders wanting to engage as opposed to sort of thinking we can just like you know and, and I think for us too it was there was a temptation early on to think our job is somehow to catechize the church on the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist and we had to squash that kind of fast it was like our job is to find people who and to to communicate in such a way that they're excited about a vision uh, that they want to go and reach people, right? Like, um, and uh, and so I think that's it's kind of just like, what's your job? How do you do it best? Um, but but pulling those, it, it always breaks my heart. I'll have people say, and you'll actually see it like even on like our social media pages sometimes where they're like, so like one of our jobs is we can organize national initiatives like no diocese could do that, yep. right? Or no single We have the, you know, the sort of breadth, the ability to go do fundraising and different things to have a National Eucharistic Congress, to have a National Eucharistic Pilgrimage. So that's an important thing for us to do to gather the church in a way that only really an entity connected to the USCCB could. But sometimes you'll, I'll see, we'll put up an ad for come to the National Eucharistic Congress and someone will comment on it. I haven't heard anything in my parish. Like, if this is really going to work, it needs to be at the local level, not just like a national thing. And it's like, how do you tell someone, like, you know, we have, thousands and thousands of parish point persons who are connected to our work i'm like i'm very sorry that like your pastor or your parish isn't like engaged but like you should see all the good that's going on you know broadly and so that that push and pull it's just an interesting leading anything in the church given kind of the stratification of the church and and how we operate and function is just a really unique complex thing yeah
1: yeah movements in the church are are prompted by a need that the holy spirit brings forward and then invites people to respond and uh, it sounds like your leadership is and you the team that's around you recognizes that influence is a a greater uh i guess a, a greater leadership than than authoritative leadership so your your work in communicating and inviting and asking the local missionary disciple to pray fervently uh, for a conviction to like, to raise awareness, to invite, to lead people to an encounter is it's, it's 1% of the time, but it's, and it's, and it's a lot of work. It feels like it would be a lot of work, uh, but it's the more important work over some of the, the, uh, the, try to, the, the, attempts to mandate something where things may just never, like may never come to fruition. So yeah, I'm curious, uh, you you've, you've been in this role for almost two years now, you know, where have you seen the Holy spirit move?
0: yeah in my own heart <laughs> <laughs> yeah. honestly yeah. like um I, I kept saying to people like i feel like the eucharistic revival maybe god initiated it just for me so, so our, our our predicate right that's the, the the mission of the revival is to renew the church uh through a rekindled relationship with jesus and Christ, uh, with, with jesus in the eucharist and so the vision is um to you know a movement of catholics who are healed formed converted unified and sent like that's those five words are sort of what we keep coming back to. Like, what's this supposed to do? Supposed to heal the church, you know, or, or individual Catholics and, and thereby the church, you know, formed, converted, unified, and sent. And so in my own life, just watching the, I think the reason I've come to believe that there is actually a revival present. I had a friend who gave me this vision the other day that he, he got in prayer. Um, sort of as he was praying about the revival and and, and even about me and, you know, and, and was kind of saying um, the image he got was almost like <clears throat> sort of grapes on the vine. And they were like so fruitful and huge, but they were falling to the ground because there was no one there to pick them, you know, and, and it's kind of that harvest is abundant labors are a few thing. I think God is bringing a lot of, like we've been in, I think a, in a time of desert and dryness, and I think God is offering more fruitfulness to the church, but it is, I think our uh, sort of responsiveness, both personally in our lives to the healing that he's trying to do in us and the, and the growth and the, um, you know, sort of building up, but then also the church, like we, it is now incumbent on us to respond. So I, I think that's the, the personal conviction. Well, one, I would say, is, is based on the amount of spiritual warfare we've gotten. Sure. That would be the first one. I'm like, oh, okay, if this, is, if this is that threatening, if there's this much retaliation against this thing, then it must be up to something really good. And then second, I would say just the sort of closeness to God in my own prayer and in my own um, sort of abilities to seek after him the closer I become connected to this work, it, it's just convicted me. Like, all right, there's, there's something different happening here. I've seen, a, I mean, you, like you, like we've been around the church a while. I've seen a lot of things come and go initiatives that are really exciting and you know, whatever, like there feels like something different here in, in my estimation.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, as you know, Proclaim is a movement here in little archdiocese of Vancouver in Canada, and we we're watching uh, from uh, I guess across the border to to see what's happening in, in the United States. And certainly, there's a lot of uh, excitement, and there could be some momentum. And and I'd even say some of our Proclaim listeners may not even be aware of the fact that there is a Eucharistic revival happening. But uh, I'm just curious, you know, based on what you know, of Proclaim and you, you, uh, your experience of movements and um, just the, the experience that you have now, you know, what are some things that you think might be applicable to uh, little Archdiocese of Vancouver, and the Proclaim movement as it relates to the Eucharistic revival and the movement that's been uh, stirring up in the United States?
0: Yeah, it's a killer question. Yeah. It's a killer question. Uh, th- I think the first thing I would say is, uh, so we, we talk about the the Eucharist as the source and summit of the church's life, yeah. right? So I think that's important to remember in evangelization. It's not everything in the middle, but it is the source. Like if you're actively involved in the work of evangelization, your Eucharistic life and how you live that. And by that, I mean like you know the opportunities for daily mass and adoration, but I mean more than mm-hmm. that. Like the action of what Jesus did in the Eucharist is itself a witness to what we're called to if we seek to become fruitful. Unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains just a single grain. Like the act of surrender and the humility in that, Jesus is showing us the path to fruitfulness and mission that we're called to imitate. And so I think a Eucharistic form of life is actually something more like Mother Teresa, Mm -hmm. right? Like, come be my light, like the darkness that she entered into Mm -hmm. and that ability to sort of like, walk out into the dark light of faith and just keep like there's a there's a whole that was a eucharistic life in some ways right she, she even says she we had this great quote at the beginning of our video on the national eucharistic congress it's like we need to be woven into jesus and eucharist so that people can eat us yes. you know like that's oh i love that there's talking this way is like how the church has always talked about mission so that'd be the first yep. thing right especially the holy father that letter on saint Teresa lesu came out recently like clearly the church is being called to reflect on sort of the personal disposition of mission. So source, summit, at the same time, right? Like, um, how are we leading people to the Eucharist? And to a Eucharistic encounter, I would say that it does actually matter. Like, I think I'm so like, uh, outside the parking lot, odd extra in sort of my desires for mission, Mm -hmm. um, that I forget both the evangelizing power of the Eucharist, like in moments of adoration, I mean, that's what changed my Mm -hmm. life, right? But, um, but also, uh, sort of, to bring people like if you're, and I think sometimes we forget about it because at the end of the day, it's really something that a parish leadership team has to take ownership for is sort of like how they celebrate the Eucharist. Um, But to remember that, sort of to complete the evangelistic work of the church by bringing someone to the the Eucharistic banquet, but at the same time to make sure that that, uh, like liturgical renewal, I think is actually relevant to parish renewal. I don't think the two are like, uh, it's somehow at odds or, You know just because our work is to make disciples one by one that that's it's not relevant or something yeah
1: yeah i'm i'm anticipating that some of our listeners who are engaged in either the leadership of the church or in as lay leaders in ministry in their local communities are starting to think very practically like how how can we help in our in our local parish uh raise awareness of this eucharistic living the source and summit of of our of our faith and some of the practical things that I think of certainly would be to, you know, to, to look at the, like, Sunday worship and, and how we celebrate uh, the Eucharist together as a community, Eucharistic Adoration Chapels. There's a number of uh, perpetual adoration chapels that we have, Eucharistic, um, uh, what are they called, it's like, uh, processions and all these things. But, you know, what are some of the things that, um, that, that you're seeing pop up at the local level just by way of individuals being inspired by this, by this revival?
0: Yeah, I think under all those categories, there's different things. Yep. 40 hour devotions. Yep. We've seen, there was one day recently, it was kind of cool. Like, it was, I, I felt like God was trying to show me something. um There were six perpetual adoration chapels. I had different calls throughout the day with different okay. people and heard through those calls uh, about six different, um, or it might even be more than that. It might have been seven, right? Because I think five were in one diocese, seven different adoration, perpetual adoration okay. chapels that had been built during the Eucharistic revival, you know? So I think. There are those moments of adoration. I do think the liturgical renewal Sunday experience piece is key. Yep. We we did a small group study that kind of did like a charismatic and um, you know sort of catechetical teaching on G- and sort of plug and play on. It's called Jesus in the Eucharist. Um, that that's been pretty effective. I think um, you know to me in a lot of ways the the best things people can do practically is get connected to the movement in some mm-hmm. way. Like if you want to come. You know, I go on our website eucharisticrevival.org slash lead. You can sign up to be a parish point person. We don't care if you're in Canada; <laughs> we'll still talk to you. Uh, and uh, and and there's like you know parish kits for marketing materials at the parish, and there's uh, a, a leader's playbook that can sort of like walk you through some of the vision and some of the practical ideas. Like we've we've done a lot of the work to make it somewhat easy to implement. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I would love. It's funny we just had a uh, with divine renovation this past week. Uh, a webinar with with Bishop Cousins, and I felt like it was kind of this cool moment of being like, all right, maybe there is actually a vision for how this gets shared with the world. We've heard from different countries who are like, we'd love to do what you're doing here. Um, And so we'd love to see more of that.
1: Yep. Yeah. Um, So I have one last question. It's the question I ask uh, all of our guests that come on, you know, is there a word of encouragement that you'd like to offer to our Proclaim listeners?
0: Yeah, I think it's um, for me it's always good to remember that God has not abandoned his church. Like he, 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 he is not interested. Uh, The father lost us one time, right. In sin and death. And um, we are still his chosen people. Mm. And he did everything he could to come back and get us. And he's not going to let us go again, right? Like um, he's not going to allow us if we turn toward him and return to him with our whole hearts. I think that's the problem, right? Is like we often haven't lived up our side of the bargain. And so there's a a natural consequence to some of that. But I think the, the encouragement that I would share is... What the eucharist reveals is god's faithfulness yeah. uh, to his church over time to the close of the age and it's my conviction that no matter what happens to the numbers of of catholics in our respective countries or or to the um, you know amount of parishes we have or whatever that god is is sending a new season of of intense fruit and fruitfulness to his church is my my feeling
1: amen Amen. One last time, Tim, where can we find information on Eucharistic Revival, resources, events, etc.?
0: Yep.org, eucharisticrevival.org, eucharisticcongress.org, yeah, eucharisticcongress.org, all the domains. <laughs> We just <laughs> got <laughs> all the dot orgs. Yeah. So. Amazing.
1: Amazing. Tim, yes. thank you so much for taking the time to share with us uh, what the Holy Spirit is doing in the church in the United States. Uh, I feel that there's a lot of unity that's that I mean, it's it's a mark of the Holy Spirit. When uh, when you, when you see that there's unity in in what's what's happening, so not only in the United States are we seeing uh, a need for this revival, but I would say here in the Archdiocese of Vancouver, a big part of what Proclaim is aiming to accomplish is a, an awakening of our disciples to proclaim Jesus, and uh, and we can proclaim him with our lives through witness and word. We can also proclaim him in uh, through the, the Eucharist and um, and in our true devotion to the Eucharist, falling in love with him there and uh and just allowing uh jesus to be the source and summit of the faith so to our proclaim listeners thanks so much for taking the time to be with us you can find us at weareproclaimed.com and if you liked this podcast please consider sharing it with a friend with a, a colleague in ministry and uh again we'll see you again uh we'll see you in the next episode tim thank you so much for taking the time to be with us thanks so much god bless amen